This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ala ahlihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Before we start with the program, we are going to start with the kalima of Allah by the recitation by our beloved Hafiz Abdul Ahad. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حميم تنزيل الكتاب من الله العزيز الحكيم إن في السماوات والأرض لآيات للمؤمنين وفي خلقكم وما يبث من دابة آيات لقوم يوقنون واختلاف الليل والنهار وما وما أنزل الله من السماء من من السماء من رزق فأحيا به الأرض بعد موتها وتصريف الرياح آيات لقوم يعقلون تلك آيات الله نتلوها عليك بالحق فبأي حديث بعد الله وآياته يؤمنون صدق الله العظيم بارك الله فيك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم First and foremost we'd like to thank you all for joining us here on behalf of Benedictine University MSA and ICNU. Um, again, I want to apologize for the delay, and we thank you for being patient with us, but it's expected out of a Muslim organization, so it's normal. Um, before we continue on, a few household rules. Um, Ron, if you want to go to the next thing, please. So we would, let, we would request if everyone can please put your phones on silent out of respect for the speaker and for everyone else in the audience. Um, so please go ahead and do that right now. Put your phones on speaker. Take your lap, you know, you can take your Snapchats and all that kind of stuff, whatever, but as long as everything's on silent, please. And then during the talk, if you have any, Q and, uh, any questions for the Q&A session, you can go ahead and text it to that number. So we'll keep this up for a few minutes so you guys can take that down. Um, we will be receiving them and then we will... Uh, Filter them out, and then, inshallah, during the Q and A session, we'll we'll answer your questions. Okay. So, as you all know, the topic, the title of the event today is conviction breaking doubts in faith. Um, before I continue on, I want a raise of hands. How many people went to the Cubs parade today? Raise of hands. Okay. For for those of you who did raise your hands, may Allah reward you. 
And for those of you who didn't, may Allah forgive you. Um, I actually went to it. I, I slept over in the city, and then Neha, the president of MSA, she was freaking out because I didn't show up till like about a few hours ago. But it was worth it, and the rest of you, I will make dua for the rest of you. Inshallah, you guys, inshallah, will give you guys hidayah. Um, now, conviction. What does that mean to us? What does that mean, not to us just as individuals, but as Muslims? Um, especially in this day and, day, and, uh, day and age of the rise of Islamophobia, the, the, the difficulty uh, living as a Muslim individual in America 2016 with everything going on in the political platform, having, maintaining hope and faith not only in ourselves as Muslims, but in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in our deen is essential for us to grow and be successful, right? And left and right, we are going to be thrown with fitan and doubt that will, uh, that will bring our faith up and down. And so, inshallah, today, Sister Ismail Mugahid will talk about how do we tackle that issue and maintain that hope and faith in our hearts and in our deen. Sister Ismail Mugahid has a very unique brand of inspirational and thought-provoking talks. She has become one of the most sought-after speakers in the Muslim world. After graduating with a master's in journalism and mass communications, she pursued a career in writing. Sister Yasmin worked as a writing instructor at the Cardinal Stritch University and a contributor to the Huffington Post. She has had great success with her debut book, Reclaim Your Heart, which is on sale outside, and she will be doing a book signing for that after the talk. Um, and currently, she is also an instructor for Al Maghrib Institute, and without... Uh, I know you guys waited long enough, and without further ado, Sister Yasmin Mugahid. Assalamu alaikum. See, I love these kinds of podiums where I feel tall. Um, like a few days ago, I was sitting at a podium and I was like, uh, something sort of personal. Uh, Chicago always feels like home to me. And the reason for that is, as some of you may know, I actually grew up around here. I grew up in Madison, which is just, you know, like two and a half hours away. And so to me, uh, it's like <laughs> coming into my backyard, you know? Not to say Chicago's the backyard of Madison, but, um, well. <laughs> no, really. Um, but, but no, we used to come out here a lot when I was a kid, so it just feels like coming home, and like I can't come to Chicago without getting my rest of life from the what's up, and, um, and of course my Italian Express. Uh, that's very important. But before I talk about, or continue talking about Italian Express and, and Rasmala, I want to talk about faith. <laughs> um, so, here's the thing, right? We're all going through this journey called life, and we're all living in modern times, and we have modern day struggles. So what I want to talk about today, I mean, you guys hear a lot in your masajid, and you hear a lot in halakas. What I want to try to do is just have a discussion with you because I'm not very interested in one-way conversations. This is one thing about me is I just don't like one-way conversations. I like 
to have discussions. And since we are, I will be taking Q&A at the end, but for a good portion of this, I'm the only one verbally speaking. So all I'll ask from you is just a lot of nonverbal communication. So just make faces. And I actually mean that literally. What I mean by that is if you have no idea what I'm saying, look confused. Just be like, I'm very animated. Um, if, if you agree, be all like, why am I saying that? It might sound silly, but as a speaker, I have no idea whether or not what I'm saying is being communicated because you're not speaking to me. So all we can use is your nonverbal communication. And y'all are Americans, so we, we can be animated, right? I've spoken in countries where seriously, it's just like, the entire time. And they could be loving it, but they're still like, it's just a culture. So anyways, this what I want to talk about today is some of the, so I, as I said, we're on a journey, right? And the Prophet Sallallahu told us that in fact, we should consider this entire life like a journey. He said, Kun fi dunya be in this life like a, tra- like a stranger or a traveler. And one thing that you'll realize about travel, any, met every single person in this room has traveled somewhere. Even if it hasn't been outside the country, you've traveled somewhere. You know what it's like to be a traveler. And one of the things that happens when you're a traveler is you're in this sort of unsettled state where you don't get too attached to the place you're in. And you always think about home, right? No matter how much is going on, in the place that you're in, you always realize, well, I'm not, I don't fully belong here, right? When you go to, um, you know, Florida or any other state, you might enjoy yourself, but you realize that you don't belong there. You know what your real home is. And the Prophet them is reminding us that that's the case with this life. That although we are traveling, we're spending time in this life, but it's, it's a passing through. In another hadith, he said, that I'm like a traveler who stops in the shade of a tree for a while and then continues. And if you think about this life like a shade of a tree, it's very, very different. And the, the way that we perceive this life is very, very different than if I believe that I'm, at, I'm home, right? So it's a reminder to you and to myself that this isn't home yet, but we have glimpses of home. So there's lots of things in this life to remind us of home. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't make this life all dark. He doesn't make it all dark, but he doesn't make it all perfect either. So in this life, we have a mix. We have, we have difficulty, but we also have ease. And it comes at the same time as the difficulty. And what are some of the barriers on this journey? So what I want to talk about is a few of the barriers that come in our path when we're journeying back home. So we've all agreed we're all on a journey, right? But what's our final destination? Jannah, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately, right? And so as long as we keep that in perspective, then inshallah we won't get lost. But there's a couple rules we have to keep in mind. And there's a couple barriers that we have to realize are barriers so that we can break through them. Okay? Fair enough? I'm not seeing, I'm seeing sort of blank faces. Okay, awesome. So we know that, that there, is a, there are these, these barriers. Now what are these barriers? One of the biggest barriers on our path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the barrier of doubt, is the barrier of uncertainty. One of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeats again and again in the Qur'an is this concept called yaqeen. Yaqeen. Does anyone know what that means? Certainty, right? Yaqeen is to have absolute certainty. 
We live in a culture right now. We live in a time right now where you're, it's almost uncool to be certain. You get what I'm saying? As you're in university, you know what I'm saying, right? It's almost uncool to be certain. Like you're supposed to say, I don't know about everything. You're supposed to say, well, maybe. You know what I mean? Like everything's a theory, right? And everything's plausible, but nothing's certain. Am I making sense? So it actually becomes very difficult to find certainty in a time of uncertainty where everything is up for discussion and everything is up for debate. Almost as if nothing is sacred. You can't, it's like nothing is off limits, except of course criticizing America. That's off limits. But other than that, really, I'm making a point here that we, it's like, we live in a culture where it's like very fewer and fewer things have become sacred. Fewer and fewer things are considered off limits or you know, you just can't go there, right? And religion is something people mock. Religion is, is I mean, that's, that's been off the sacred, you know, a long time ago. But we as believers, we have to somehow live in this world and take this journey and find certainty within this this world that teaches us uncertainty. But how can we do that? I'm going to tell you guys in this sense. I'm going to use an analogy. The thing is about this journey is that there is one part of this journey that's essential. There is one main part of this journey that's essential. The Prophet ﷺ told us in a hadith, very important hadith, which every probably everyone in this room has learned this hadith at some point in their life, probably in Sunday school, Islamic school growing up. How many of you have heard the hadith about what is prohibited is clear and what is what is lawful is clear and what is unlawful is clear? Anyone? Most people have heard this, right? And then between them are these doubtful matters. Most of us have learned this hadith. And the Prophet ﷺ goes on to tell us that if we want to avoid falling into the haram, then we should avoid the doubtful matters. Everybody following? But what's very interesting about this hadith, and even me personally, I I read this at, like it was like at some point in like in my late adult life that I realized something profound and amazing, and that is that this hadith doesn't end there. Like I always kind of thought of this hadith as talking about haram and halal, which sounds very familiar, right? Let me just let me just do like a parenthesis for a second. Uh, a lot of our discussions in our Islamic circles, whether they are our masjids or our Sunday schools or our Islamic schools or our halakas, revolve around haram and halal, and it ends there. Our discussions are about what's allowed and what's not allowed. Our discussions are about rules. Our discussions are about how long the pants should be, how long the beard should be, what kind of you know dress, what kind of um, what kind of zabiha, you know what I'm saying? We don't have it as much in this country, but dude, there are, I won't mention them by name, <laughs> the UK. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, it's gotten deep, you know, like it's gotten deep. It's not, it's, it's not enough to just say zabiha, halal, but there's like different brands of which, I don't remember the, the acronyms for them, but the, there's like, they've gotten real deep in this discussion, okay? My point is this. My point is this, that we've become, we've, we've sort of, we've, we've taken Islam and everything that Islam is 
And we boiled it down, narrowed it down to just a list, like a list that you that you put up on your wall or that you read, and it's about rules. It's about this is haram and this is halal. This is what's allowed. This is what you wear. This is what you, this is the technicality. All right. What has happened as a result of that? I'll tell you what has happened as a result of that. Do we need rules? Yes, of course we need rules. But what has happened is we've taken the soul out of Islam. And what, it's like taking a body and taking out the soul. What happens if you take a body and separate the soul? Take out the soul. What do you end up with? Just an empty shell. You just end up with a soulless body, right? Now when a person, when we do this to Islam, when we take out the spirit and essence and, and intent, the, the, the soul of Islam, and all we have left is the rules... It's like having a soulless body. And what do you get as a result, you think? I'll tell you what you get. You get what we got right now. A lot of uncertainty and a lot of apathy. And I was just speaking with one of the youth directors and he was talking about the fact just, just now, the fact that this is a problem that he's seeing is this epidemic of apathy where people just, they're not bothered. You know what I'm saying? They just don't care. And what has happened is that we've grown up so much where Islam is about haram. Islam is about if you do this haram, you're going to go to Jahannam. And we teach children about the concept of hellfire before they can even like say the word Rahman or Rahim or even understand the concept of mercy or even understand the concept of Allah. But they already know all the details of hellfire. You know what I'm saying? And, they, and it's like the first word that they're taught in school, in, in, in their Islamic lesson, is haram. You know what I mean when you the first day you send your kid, and they come home and they're just, so what did you learn today? And all of a sudden it's like they become the haram police. And then, it's really like, like, it's like a little haram police. We have completely lost focus. We have completely lost focus. What's the problem here? The problem here is we've taken the soul out of the body and all we have left is the rules. Now, the Prophet ﷺ when he was speaking in this hadith about the haram and the halal and the doubtful matters, he actually he didn't stop there. The discussion didn't end there. The discussion continued and he says, Inna fil jasadi mudha. Indeed, in the body there's a lump of flesh. If it's set right, then the entire body is set right. وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبِ And then if it's corrupted, then the entire body is corrupted. Indeed, it is the heart. What is the Prophet ﷺ teaching us? We'll see, we, uh, we, we, we just spoke about the fact the hadith begins with rules. The hadith begins with haram and halal. But then the hadith goes to what seems like an unrelated topic, which is the heart. But it's not unrelated. It's not unrelated because what the Prophet is teaching us is how is it that we can follow these rules? And what is it that's going to that's going to lead us? What is the master of the body? And he tells us it's the heart. So if a person changes their heart, if a person works on their heart, if a person has a heart that is healthy, a heart that is alive, a heart that is purified, then it becomes easier to follow the rules. Make sense? Because now you have a body that has a soul. You're not having a, a soulless body, but you're talking now about a heart, a body that's alive. 
You see, when you teach, so we, we, we spoke about how it is that we teach our children, right? But if, if instead of focusing only on the rules and only on the external, how, you know, the, the mechanics of salah. So many of us learn Quran, but not the meaning. So many of us learn to read Quran at like lightning speed, right? But we don't know anything about the meaning. It's as if the, the goal is just to get through it. And, and we've missed the essence. What's the actual point of the Qur'an. Why was the Qur'an revealed? The Qur'an was revealed to change lives. The Qur'an was, relieved, was revealed to transform hearts. That's why it was revealed for more than 1400 years ago. And that's why we have this timeless message. It's not just supposed to be something that's read. It's not supposed to be just something that decorates our walls. Or that we wear on a necklace. You understand what I'm saying? But it's intended to be something that we live and something that transforms us transforms us individually and then transforms us as families and then transforms us as societies and then transforms the world. That's the intent of these letters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed. But you see, unless we teach that, unless we teach that core, then what happens is we become, you know, like a tree. A tree that has no roots. A tree that has no roots. What happens if you have a tree that has no roots? Any, not even, forget a storm, any wind. Any wind will come and it will knock it down. Let me just like, <laughs> we call this real talk, right? We as a community are being faced with a lot of storms. Yeah, some of them are called Trump. <laughs> when you have a tree, that tree has, you know, when you see these solid oaks, when you see these massive, by the way, I don't know how much you guys know about trees, but basically the age of a tree, <laughs> okay, I love trees. <laughs> the age of a tree is proportional to how big, how like fat it is, okay? How, how many rings are in the, in the trunk, okay? So when you see these trees that are massive, right? That are massive. Do you know that as much as they grow this way and as much as they grow this way, they have to grow which way? This way, internally. Like they have to, that's the thing about a tree is that as it gets larger, as it gets larger and as it gets taller, it also has to get deeper. And its roots have to reach deeper and deeper into the earth because there has to be that solid foundation or it can't withstand because its weight is getting bigger, Right? It's getting bigger and so it has to be able to withstand more. And, and so when the wind comes, it doesn't knock it down. This is a very powerful analogy because we as a community, there's a lot of wind. There's a lot of wind. I told you what some of it's called. There's a lot of storms. But how are we going to respond? How as a community are we going to respond? When, when we talk about this idea of uncertainty... What does it mean to be uncertain? It means that I don't have strong roots. It means that my foundation isn't strong. It means that my heart, remember the Prophet said that in the body there's a lump of flesh. It means that lump of flesh is not set right. It has not been set right. It hasn't been taken care of. It hasn't been fed. It's not healthy. And if that heart is not healthy, then any wind will come and knock us down. Unfortunately, we as a community, we're, we're not firm enough. 
We're not firm enough. And the problem is when you're not firm enough, any wind will take us this way and that way. There's a very, very, very profound hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu more than 1400 days, 1400 days ago, I wish, 1400 years ago, um, 1400 years ago, predicted, prophesied literally what is happening today. And in this hadith he said that there will soon come a time when your enemies will gather together and they will call one another, they'll summon one another to attack you. Like people call one another to share from their food, their dish. They'll actually call one another. You know, you have a big dish of food, especially like back home or when you go for Umrah, you have these big dishes of rice and, and meat and stuff and everybody's kind of eating from the same dish. And he's saying that your enemies will do this. They'll call one another to attack you. Meaning you'll be fair game, you'll be easy game. You know what I'm saying? It'll be easy to attack you. And it'll actually become cool. It'll become cool. Does that sound familiar? Nowadays, you actually win elections by attacking us. Let's be real. That's a problem. That we've become in such a weak position that it's not only accepted to attack us, but it gets you ahead. It's going to get you ahead if you attack us. And one of the biggest insults they could give someone, do you remember what they said about Obama? Obama's a Muslim. You feel me? That, that was the biggest insult they could give. You get it? Because everyone's, because this is the, everyone's scared. And this is something that has become so, um, so easy to attack. And then actually it's profitable to attack. It's profitable to attack, and the worst thing you can do is to somehow associate someone with this group. That's how they would lose. This is the position we're in. And so the Prophet ﷺ goes on to say that you will be like the froth on the ocean. You know the little, the little like scum on the ocean, just like the bubbles on the waves. If even if you go to Lake, Lake Michigan, you see that when when the water moves, there's just these little bubbles. They have no weight. They have no, you know, self-determination. What do they do? They go where the tide takes them. Do you understand? This hadith is very, very deep. And so he's saying that you as an ummah will become like that. You'll become like that little, you know, those bubbles on the, on the waves. And Allah will remove the fear from the hearts of your enemy for you. So the fear of you and will put in your hearts wahan. And when they asked what wahan is, he said, dunya wa It is the love of dunya and the hatred of death. Wow. You know why this hadith is something we have to study today? Because it's describing our situation, and then it's diagnosing the problem. See, the beginning of this hadith, and that's why I don't like political discussions that don't have anything to do with the internal. Because it means that we're missing the point. Because this, this hadith, is a it starts out as a political discussion, isn't it? The hadith is saying that your enemies will attack you. And this is a political discussion, right? We're talking about a political situation. But when he goes and he gives the diagnosis, he's talking about a spiritual situation. He's saying there's a disease in your hearts. And that disease that's in your hearts is what's causing your political weakness. Make sense? So, what is that disease? What is that disease? 
And if you study that disease, you'll find every other disease comes out of that disease. So if we want to talk about the disease of uncertainty, we go back to even a deeper root, which is hope in dunya, the love of dunya. It's the fact that we, we think this whole YOLO concept, this idea that, yeah, you only live once. And that idea, even if as believers we don't actually believe it, we know that there's another life, right? But we know it back here. You know what I'm saying? We know it in the back of our mind. But what are we working with in the front of our mind? You know, the frontal lobe? The thing we're actually using and working with and focusing on is all this life. What do I mean by that? I mean that the things that we care about are all revolving around this life. The things that we talk about are all revolving around this life. The things that we worry about are all revolving around this life. The things that we're afraid of are all revolving around this life. So what happens is... Whatever you focus on grows. Whatever you focus on grows. And so if we become a people who only focus on hope and just this life, we only care about money and status and what are people saying about us and what are people not saying about us. You understand? Who's, who's, um, how many people liking my status? How many people aren't? You know what I'm saying? That this idea of focus focus on the creation or focus on this life to the extent that nothing else, we don't, we don't see anything else. And because of that focus, we've become very weak. That's the reason why we're in the situation that we're in that the Prophet ﷺ is describing at the beginning of that hadith. That we become like that froth in the ocean. And that our enemies have come and summoned one another to attack us. When we, when we look at our situation right now, I'm going to just take another second to just be real about it, and then I'm going to say something else. And that is this. If we look at our situation right now, we can pick any country. Actually, I was watching this video, and it was like going to like random Americans and asking them, do you happen to know which countries we are currently bombing? And nobody knew. Nobody knew how many, and nobody knew what they were. Okay? And so this person goes on to like list them. Well, basically, every single was a Muslim country. Okay, that's my point. My point here now is that, however you look at it, whether it's being attacked financially, physically, or you know the, the land being attacked, or being attacked through Islamophobia, being attacked verbally, being attacked by 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 the things that are being said. But basically, wherever we turn, let's be real. Okay, this is happening. This is happening. All right, that sounds kind of dark. Let me tell you something else. Whatever you focus on grows. Whatever you focus on grows. So while I wanted to begin by being real, I also want to tell you this. It isn't all dark. And as a community, what we have to do is we have to focus on what is going well. We have to focus on the light. Because when you focus on the light, it also grows. It expands. One thing that we can never ever do as believers, because you'll find if you study history, if you study the lives of the prophets, if you study the companions, you'll find that they had it hard. Every single one had it hard. Guys following? Everyone had it hard, but one thing that they all had in common is they never lost hope. We are not a people of despair. We're not a people who sit and focus on the dark. Make sense? 
we're always a people of positivity. And, 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 and honestly, this is the reason why we have to be positive. Because, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that the believers, if you're a believer, you will always win. So if we have that promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have absolutely no reason to ever despair. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تَدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةَ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ Do you think that you will enter paradise without going through what those who went before you went through? Allah is asking us this. مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ وَزُلْزِلُوا They went through adversity, hardship, and they were shaken. They were shaken. Zulzilu is like the same word in Arabic, same root as the word for earthquake, which is zilzal. So Allah is saying that these people were so shaken. Until even the messengers and those with the messengers are asking, when will the help of Allah come? Even the messengers and those with the messengers are asking that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that, that, that this, whatever hardship we're going through, is to be expected. Alright? However, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala end this ayah? That He tells us, He's actually reassuring us by telling us that this is part of the path to Jannah is some struggle. But, but, what does He say at the end? He says, حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ مَتَى that when these messengers and the people with them ask, when will the help of Allah come? But then Allah says, indeed, the help of Allah is near. Look, the help of Allah is a guarantee. But it's a guarantee when, and it's a guarantee for whom. It's a guarantee, but we got to do some stuff. We have to do some things. And what is it that we have to do? Allah tells us, Allah tells us the formula for change. What is the formula for change? Indeed, Allah does not change the condition of a people until they change what's inside themselves. I think that you and I agree there's some things about our condition we'd like to change. Yeah? Agreed? Or blank faces? Agreed. There's some things about our condition we'd like to change. Whether it's personally or it's collectively, I think we agree. But how will that change happen? I'll tell you how it's going to happen. We have to stop blaming others. We have to stop blaming others. It's actually not Trump's fault. I know. It stinks. We can't blame him. He's a... He's a... He's a sin. <laughs> he's united us, yeah. No, no. But this is very true. But what I want, I, want, I want us to dig deeper. Guys, I want us to dig deeper. He's a symptom. He's not... He's a symptom. He, there, there's a deeper issue. And even deeper than all the racism and even deeper than all that, I want us to get deep spiritually. I have to change. Simple as that. We have to change individually. Before we start talking about my spouse needs to change, my brother needs to change, my sister needs to change, and oh, do I want to tell so-and-so about what Yasmin said? No. Like, I, sometimes our brain does that, right? Oh, I can't wait to tell, I can't wait to, you know, tell my spouse or tell my sister or tell my, you know what I mean? I told you so. I need to change. The first person we need to look at is ourselves. 
And when we start to change ourselves, that's how the world changes. How do I know? Because Allah said so. If we want to be able to have these solid roots, this certainty in Allah and in the hereafter and in what and in what we're doing here and not be shaken by every wind, we have to work on this internal lump of flesh. We have to work on our hearts and we have to be able to not lose hope. We cannot allow... See, because right now, I want to give you guys this analogy. Right now, we got lights on, right? But what happens if all of a sudden the lights are out? Like the electricity goes. How useful would it be for me to just stand up here and you and everyone in this room to just sit in our seats and just talk for the next two hours about the fact that it's dark? Just talk about it. Let's talk about it, guys. Let's talk about it. Let's post about it. You get it? Let's, let's you know, discuss about it. Let's talk about it some more. It's really dark. Did you see how dark it is? But did you see how dark? Do you see how dark it is in that corner? You guys understand my analogy? Holy moly. Like, the amount of discussion that we have about all the terrible things. All the terrible things. But have we actually brought any light to the room by talking about it? Defensive. Can I explain what that means? When I say it's defensive, I mean we focus so much on saying who we aren't. We aren't terrorists. Got it. Do you feel me? But what are you? Well, wait, we didn't really spend any time talking about that. Because we're so busy saying we're not terrorists. Can I tell you a secret? I'm going to tell you a secret. No matter how loud, no matter how many times... You scream at the top of your lungs that you condemn terrorism, they're still not going to hear you. And it's never going to be enough. So let me tell you a secret. Change the narrative. Why do you have to keep apologizing for something you didn't do? Why? And when are you going to stop? And the irony is just apologize till you lose your breath. They're still going to say, why are Muslims not condemning terrorism? They're still going to say that. Because there's a certain narrative and it's going to stay. So we have to change that narrative. And we have to stop being defensive and start being positive. Stop to start talking about who we are. And not just talk about it. Show it. Show who you are. Just be who you are. Because if you become a source of light, that's automatically going to take care of the darkness. Make sense? But if we just sit and talk about how dark it is and how I didn't do it, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone in this room, it's like, it's like kids, right? When, when there's something that goes wrong and the kids just want to focus on, I didn't do it. Okay, I'm not concerned with who did or didn't do it. Let's solve it. Let's, let's do something positive. So instead of us just sitting and talking about what we did or didn't do, okay, there is no reason for us to be apologizing. We have to stop being... Um, we have to stop apologizing. We have to stop being apologetic. And instead... Let's contribute. Let's contribute and let's be, let's, how can we then be a source of light? So in terms of talking about these roots, how do we then, see, because I'm telling you about the fruits right now. The fruits and the branches and all this is like, this, this, this that we can contribute, we can't do it unless we have solid roots. 
How do we build those solid roots? So let me just quickly talk about some practical things. I cannot emphasize enough that you are what you eat. And I don't just mean that physically. So you are what you eat. If you eat healthy food, you're going to be healthy, right? If you eat rotten, poisonous food, you're going to be sick, right? We all agree? Similarly, watch what you take in. Watch your media. Watch your intake. And when I say intake, I mean everything that goes into your eyes. I mean everything that goes into your ears. I mean everything that goes into your head. This is all food that's going to your heart. Is that making sense? So I'm actually asking you to not only watch what you read, watch what you look at, watch what you listen to, guard it. Be, be mindful, all right? But also watch what you think. Your thoughts are so powerful. Your thoughts are so powerful. Anytime you have a negative thought, start to be conscious of it and replace it with a positive thought. Shift your focus. You don't understand how important this is. Your entire state is determined by your thoughts. Your entire state and what you focus on grows. So if we're a people who focus only on problems, have you ever met a person who's so focused on problems? Anyone? All right. Um, what happens to that person? Okay, I'll tell you what happens to that person. They get very, very anxious. Okay? A person who's always focused on what could go wrong or what various scenarios and permutations of what could go wrong, and that's how they are. They're very worried, right? They're, they're, they're always focused on problems, on barriers, on negativity. They also become very anxious. They become very, very anxious. It's very difficult for them to just relax. Is that making any sense to you? Okay, so what has happened is that they are focusing on the wrong thing. It's like a person who's, well, let me actually give you this analogy. I love this analogy. How many of you have heard me talk about this? Probably anyone who's heard me talk, you have to hear me talk about this. One of my favorite stories, anyone? Oh, no, it's not Frozen, but good, good, good guess. It's um, Musa in front of the Red Sea. Right? Musa is Salaam in front of the Red Sea. Why, why, I, let me just tell you something very, very interesting about this story. In the story, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us two different reactions. He, showed us, he shows us two different worldviews based on simply what are they focused on. Let me tell you why. Because Allah says, فَلَمَّا تَرَى الْجَمْعَانِ قَالَ أَصْحَابُ مُوسَىٰ إِنَّا لَمْدْرَكُمْ When they saw the armies approaching. So what did the people of Musa focus on? The armies. See, the people of Musa are trying to get away from Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh has an army. Pharaoh is a superpower. You understand? Does that sound familiar? Pharaoh is a superpower. Pharaoh has an army. And so what's happened here is that Beni Israel, the people of uh, the children of Israel who are with Musa, are focused on the army. And because they're focused on the army, in other words, they're focused on the problem. Please follow. This is really important. They're focused on the problem. Okay? They're focused on the problem. I'm not going to say trauma. They're focused on the problem. All right. Now, because they're focused on the problem, whether whatever that problem is, Islamophobia or whatever form you want to say, okay? Because they're so focused on the problem itself, their response to the situation is, inna la We are going to be overtaken. 
You get it? Their response comes directly from what they're focused on. And because they're focused on the army, and because they're focused on the problem itself, their natural reaction is, oh, it's like, it's like the equivalent of OMG, right? We're going to be overtaken. They freak out. They panic. They're very anxious. They're scared. In other words, now they're despairing. They are, they are losing hope. They are in a state of despair, right? Because they're saying that's it for us. We're going to be overtaken. We're going to be killed. When they saw the armies approaching, because that's their focus, they said, we will indeed be overtaken. So then what happens? Then Musa comes in, and it's so beautiful and so simple. He says, nope. Qala kalla. And kalla doesn't, isn't just la, it's not just no, but it's a very emphatic way to say no. It's like absolutely, positively, no way. All in one word. Kalla. You guys can like, go home and say, I learned a new word. Kalla. Say like kalla to everyone. <laughs> Your brother says, you know, can you make, can you make my bed for me? Kalla. <laughs> no, but um, kalla is a very powerful word. He's like, absolutely not, no. Kalla. Why? Look at that. What's he saying? He has a different focus. He's not focused on the army. And he's not focused on the problem. And he's not focused on the Pharaoh. He's focused on Allah. He says, Nope. Indeed, my Lord is with me. So you see what his focus is? And he says, he will get me through this. His reaction is a reaction of hope and not despair, but only because of what his focus is. Because his focus is not the problem, his focus is not the army, his focus is Allah. And he says because of that, he has no doubt that he will be get carried through this. Indeed my Lord is with me and he will get me through, he will guide me through this. You know why this is like beyond awesome? Because I want you guys to just imagine the situation. He's in front of the Red Sea. And he has an army behind him. How can he possibly imagine to get out of that situation? There's no logical way, right? How, what's he going to do, fly? Him and his people? Like, what's he going to do? And yet he still isn't afraid. And yet he still doesn't doubt the help of Allah. Do you understand what that is? That is yaqeen. That is what yaqeen means. That's what certainty means. But yaqeen and certainty will never happen if you're focused on the wrong stuff. The only way that you can have yaqeen is if your focus is Allah. And it's not the problems. And it's not the, the armies. And it's not all the people that are trying to attack us. Literally attack us. Right? They had people trying to attack them too. It was a superpower army. And they were trapped. You understand? All they had in front of them was a sea. And all they had behind them was an army. But Musa alayhi salam, look at his attitude. And that's because his focus was Allah. And now look what happens. Look what happens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as you know, opens the Red Sea. 
Now, you guys, I don't, I don't want anyone going home thinking this is just a story. It's not. And Allah, after telling us this story in Surah Al-Shahara, He says that in this is a sign. He actually says that in this is a sign, but most people don't realize it. Most people don't know. So I'm telling you what Allah is saying, which is that this is actually a sign. It's not just a cool story. It is a cool story. It's not just a story. In your life that you love the most of anyone else. Okay, everyone have someone in your brain? Yes? Blank faces, y'all don't love anybody? <laughs> I'm going to call you out if you have blank faces. So that person that you love, Hoping that you have, you have somebody in your head, right? Um, now imagine for a moment that that person comes to you one day and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you ever, ever, ever again. I'm gone. I'm leaving. And I'm never going to talk to you again. What emotion does that, does that bring inside Tell me the emotion that that brings about. Sadness. But the idea of that person leaving or dying or... Fear, folks. Does it not make you scared? Not so much. Y'all are strange. <laughs> of course it does. See, here's the thing about when you love something, you naturally fear losing it. If you love something, you naturally become afraid of losing it. The, the truth is that, let me ask you this question. If you do it the other way around, and you think about what is it that you fear most in life, it's always linked to something you love. Yes or no? Because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't care. Okay? So what I'm trying to say is that fear and love are linked. If we love Allah, if we love Allah, then we will fear His displeasure. Simple as that. It's natural. Just like I would fear my mother being displeased with me. I would fear displeasing someone that I love because of that love. Even if they didn't lay a hand on me, but I'm just not wanting to displease them. I'm just not wanting them to disconnect from me. We're afraid of losing things that we love. And anytime, anytime you, you look at your fear in life and you trace it back, it always is rooted in love. You're only afraid of losing your money because you love your money. Okay? You're only afraid of losing your friend or your spouse because you love them. And if you did love them, you wouldn't be afraid of losing them. So fear is linked to love. If we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we will also fear Allah. So that's what I want to say about that. And have you guys ever heard of Dr. Tariq Ramadansi? He really doesn't like clapping. So just, just you guys don't have to clap right now. Okay. Uh, next question, can you give us practical examples um, in our daily lives as students and parents on how to focus on positive things rather than the negative things? Yes, so so uh, practical examples, I, I emphasize this and I'll emphasize it again. Um, be mindful of what you intake, remember? 
be mindful of your food, your, your, your spiritual food. What you read, what you speak about, what you read, uh, what you look at, what you watch, what you listen to, and what you talk about. Be mindful of the conversations you're having. I can't emphasize it enough. Be mindful of your thoughts. When you start to guard these things, you'll find a huge change in your state. When you guard what you watch, when you guard what you look at, when you guard what you listen to, and you tell yourself, I'm not going to take in toxicity. Just like you guard what you eat, right? If something is in front of you and it's covered in mold, are you going to eat it? Absolutely not. But you don't take in that kind of stuff because it's, it's poison, it's toxic. So I need you to be the same way about what you, what you allow to go into your consciousness. All right? Garbage is garbage. All right? Whatever you're watching, if it's garbage, it's the same as eating garbage. It's the same. It's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your state. It's going to affect your insides. Just like eating garbage is going to affect your health. So just don't think that it's not going to matter. You know what I mean? What you are, just remember this, you are what you eat. And in this case, spiritually, you are what you ingest. You are what you expose yourself to. You will become like that. Whatever you expose yourself to a lot, you become like it. All right? So if you're exposing yourself to constant garbage, then it affects your insides. One thing I will say, one thing I will say is this. Pop culture right now, pop culture right now is teaching us a few things. There's a few like, main lessons in pop culture right now. One of them is the absolute positive obsession with appearance. Like, obsession. You know, the Instagram culture and all this, like, all the various ways to have a perfect picture. And so what happens is, what happens is, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect. A lot of pressure. And you guys feel me. And it isn't only the girls anymore. It isn't. It isn't. Now, now it's like equal opportunity, yeah? We're objectifying everybody. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Um, but no, you guys understand what I'm saying. Now we're objectifying the men too. I mean, oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's just, oh God. I mean, yeah, we won't talk about it. But you guys know what I'm saying, right? Like the that 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 this we we've, we've become such an obsessed culture with appearance, and when we become so focused on one thing that we've missed out on the essence. So one thing I will tell you is just be mindful of what you ingest. Why am I saying this? Because it's just practical. How much time do we spend on Facebook? How much time do we spend on Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff? So. I'm not up here telling you to get off all social media. I'm not saying that. I'm saying use your social media to make you healthier. Don't let it use you. Like don't let it don't let it um, turn you into a person who only thinks about, talks about, looks at, works towards like stuff that has to do with fashion and appearances and it's cool. Like you want to be fashionable. It's cool that there's like a tutorial for everything. It's cool, but if that's it, you guys understand what I'm saying? If that's it, if that's it, then that's a problem. 
If it's only about that, if that's the only thing that you're looking at, if that's the only thing that you're looking at every single day, maybe, see, why am I saying that? Because you, you can use your social media however you want, right? Your social media, your Instagram can be a bunch of quotes and trees like mine. I'm not saying all of you have to have a bunch of quotes and trees, but I'm giving you an example. Your Instagram can be whatever you make it. It doesn't have to be just pictures of the Kardashians. It can be something actually that can help you, that can, that can inspire you. So now when you go to check your Instagram, it's something that's going to make you live with something. You know what I mean? As opposed to just more obsession with what someone's wearing and what someone's done with their hair and their makeup for today. They all look the same. I can't even believe it, but they all look the same. You know? My point is that that's not good for the heart. That's just not good for the soul. So you change, and I'm not saying you like change your newsfeed. What I mean is that Facebook, you can actually, you can affect your newsfeed. You know this? I'm going to tell you a secret. You can unfollow people without them knowing. Do you guys hear that secret? You can unfollow people without them knowing. Use it. Use it. I'm serious. Because it's not, I mean, it's awesome that they're eating a burger today and tomorrow and the next day or whatever. But maybe you could have your new feed be just a little bit more enriching. And that actually will make a difference over time. Trust me. So that's just one possible thing you can do. But I, I can't emphasize how important it is just because of how much time we spend on these things.